Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. I've been battling allergies for years now. Let me tell you, they've been a real ordeal in my life. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available release sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. What's up, gang? Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Mershazde. I'm so pumped to have you here with me. Now listen, The Greatness Machine, we're about two things. Number one, people who are living their passions. And number two, those who are creating greatness in the world and doing both of these things despite the odds against them. Each episode, we're going to feature interviews with game changers, business leaders, you know, telling us their origin stories, what made them tick, what got them to where they are now. Why? So it can help you step into your greatness within your life, your business, and your career. Occasionally, you might hear a few solo episodes from myself, moi, as I say, as I leverage my 20 years of entrepreneurship as a CEO and founder to help you grow and level up in your journey to scale your life and your business. So come be a fly on the wall, enjoy the conversation, and I'm stoked to have you here with me. Welcome to The Greatness Machine. I'm your host, Darius Rochazne, and today we are graced with the amazing presence of the one and only Christina Harbridge. Welcome to the show! Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to have you here. Um, let's do some housekeeping and ground rules and pull up my notes. All right, guys, first of all, the format of the show is simple. We're bringing together change makers who are living their passions to create greatness in the world. And I mean, we're going to be going and talking about some amazing stuff today with Christina about her changing the world, her passions and her greatness. A couple of things to know about live streaming. Number one, we're live. Uh, start a watch party, ask questions. Uh, I have my team on standby on Instant Messenger to pass those. So just drop it in the, in the uh, watch party. We have watch parties on a couple of the different show, on a couple of different Facebook pages uh, at The Real Darius M. You can watch us there. And uh, yeah ask questions in the notes and the thread and it's going to come to us. So like I said, we do have a very special guest, Christi Christina. I am so freaking pumped to have you. Thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here and a big thank you to Hannah for all she does in the background to make your show happen. She sent me a very nice email. So thank you if you're listening, Hannah. She, you, you know what? Yeah. Thank you, Hannah. You rock. She's she kind of rocks, right? Yeah. Like the whole team over there rocks, but she's a freaking. Absolutely. Rock. Yeah. You rock. You're going to be on the show one day. We're going to tell you about your greatness. Do that. Yes. I, I do want to do that. Do, do, <laughs> yeah, that's happening. Um, so I want to give, can I get background about you to, to our, um, our, our audience? Yes. And I'll do an interpretive dance while you talk. Uh, standing at six foot two, this serial entrepreneur, NASA's test subject, Miss Chief Executive Officer, welder trainer, and author of the new book, Suede. Also a badass man, also a badass mom, and all around amazing human being. I present to you the one, the only Christina Harbridge. Do you have a this is my name? move today. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love that. What's your What's your middle name? Anne. I love Christina. You is that one of those things where when people are mad at you, they call you by your full name, or is it just like only your family and friends? Yeah, I think only family and friends. And um, when I was a kid, I thought that you had to have the middle name of your parents because really? that's what my parents did. I thought that my mother's name was Anne and that was all of our middle names, the girls. And so I thought that was a rule until I was like 22. Wait, wait, wait. So 
your mom, <laughs> your mother's name is Anne, and all the girls' middle names are Anne. Yes. Oh no! Wait, how many girls are there? Um, there's three, and then my brothers, my two brothers from both parents, were middle name was Christopher, which was one of my dad's names. So I thought this was a rule until I was probably in college, and they had a class on that, and I figured out that it's not a rule. We can name can it. Wait, can I rewind? You said that's one of my dad's names. Yeah, my father has three middle names. Oh, I thought yeah. your dad had multiple first names. Yeah, no, no, no. He has three middle names. Oh, so it's, Anne is your mother's middle name, not her first name. Yeah, it's her oh. first name. Wait, wait, it is her first so name. So this, yeah, we're having a quadratic formula conversation right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like so enthralled here. So I, we named in my, my um, family, we named our son's middle name after our brothers. I love that. And we flipped them. So, so we, yeah, do you want me to give you the quadratic, quadratic formula? For yes. His name? Yes. So first of all, um, we, my wife and I battled over my first son's name, like battled, like you've never seen, like my wife was like eight months pregnant and she left at two in the morning in a fight because we were like disagreeing on the name. And uh, yeah, <sighs> yeah, yeah, it was, she had this, she was crazy nesting and she's like cleaning door seals at like three in the morning. And then we got into it over my son's name. And we had no name going into, we actually, we didn't even know, but that was the other thing is we didn't know what the sex was. Like this was a surprise. That we did. So we were like fighting over names over, you know, we didn't know what sex it was. We didn't know anything, but we were like not agreeing on any of the boys' names. So at like in the birthing room, like in the, you know, when my wife's like, you know, getting ready to give birth, we, I, my, her aunt gave us a book of poetry by Rumi, uh, the poet poet and so and we both love Rumi and so and, and you know he's Sufi and he's from a part of Iran and I'm Persian yes. so I'm like what if we name him Rumi so we named my first son Rumi and my and his her brother's name is Matt so we did Rumi Mateo Mershazadeh oh it's beautiful and and the fight though was because she wanted to name him Pablo after Pablo Neruda right who's also a poet of yes amazing like, poet and I'm like, I don't want to name him Pablo. Like, I, you know, I don't like, I, I wanted to name him Rocco. And <laughs> so we were like, we were battling. It, it wasn't good. And so then when we had my, our second child, we, and the girl name is Rezi. We're like, yeah, we had those figured out. But the, the, on my second child, she wanted to name him Pablo. And I, and I agreed. And so our, their first names are after per, our poet, Poets of Love. And then his middle name is after my brother, who's, whose Persian name is Mehran. We call him Mikey, but so it's Pablo Mehran Mershazde. Oh, it's beautiful. I love these names. They're cool names, huh? Yeah, my parents fought over my name really? as well. Yeah, so my father wanted to name me after my grandmother, Refugio. And my mother didn't want me to spend my entire life pronouncing it. Yeah. Um, and fair, so they were with Christina and I'm bummed about it because it means refuge and it's a perfect, beautiful name. Yeah. What, what is, is that Italian? Um, Spanish. 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 Okay. Yeah. So you're, are, are you, what percentage are you Spanish? So my mother, mother's family's from Queretaro. Okay. And so um, my grandmother came here um, when she was 16. Oh, cool. Yeah. And then your father's side, and this is your mother's side or your father's side, sorry. And That's my mother's side, side. yeah. What on, on your father's side, what is it? Father's side, we don't really know. Um, he was raised to believe he was 100% Irish, but when I got his birth certificate, the story he was told was not actually correct. 
So I believe <laughs> uh, he was raised in, um, in Harlem, New York, and he didn't have a father. And so his mom kind of fabricated this beautiful story to keep him connected to the Irish community, which was a beautiful thing to do for a young yeah. man. Yeah, that's super, um, that's super cool. Yeah, she was a pretty badass woman. Uh, we argued over my son's name, too. Really? So do you know what his incredible father wanted to name my son? I have no idea. No, no. First name Marshall. My son's last name is Law. Oh, my God. Really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no way. Marshall. I'm very Law. grateful right now that that is that I that name is not the name for my child. Yeah, especially with the current environment. <laughs> exactly. It would be kind of. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh my so, um. Let's pull the, wow, what a great start to this show. So let me, hey, so tell me about the book. You got the new book that, that just came out. I want to hear about that. And you're an author. This, is, this isn't your first book. This is, no, you have multiple books, right? Yeah, the second one was Swayed. That came out a few years ago. Um, and that book is about just using context and communication. And then we have one coming up about physiology and how our physiology is driving our behavior. So everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. That is a Mike Tyson quote. And a lot of us learn tools that we can't access when our physiology is completely hijacked, like mine is right now doing a live stream. So the book is about how to um, understand your operating system and use it better. That's really cool. And so is it yeah. talking about like hormonal re reactions or like what, like what? Yeah, so I'm not a scientist. I don't have any commas after my name. So I don't want to bastardize all the rigor. I cannot stand like when people take 30 years of rigor in science and turn it into a buzzword. So what it is, is just a series of hacks of how to be less hijackable and more to behave more. Here's the best way to say it to stay loyal to whatever outcome we want, no matter what is happening to our body in the moment. Okay, so a lot cool. of us get hijacked and we do behavior that messes with what we really, really want. And I can give you an example of that as that, if that's helpful. I mean, like, yeah, what's coming to my mind is like, like a consciousness and having an awareness of behavior, but like, can you give me, is that, I know that's what that is, but can you give me an example? Yeah, here's a quick example. So most of us in our society were raised to just get over it. So we were raised, if you're having a feeling, other people don't have, feel like feeling, just get over it. Right. And one of the things that I learned um, being hooked up to these physiological jackets at NASA when I was doing test subject stuff is um, we numb these alerts that we get in part because we're trying to get over it, but we don't get over it. We do behavior to soothe that discomfort that messes with what we really want. So if my 10-year-old son, he was 10 at the time, comes home and throws a bottle of water down and screams, I hate school, my body wants to correct the violence. But the outcome that I want is to raise a healthy 25-year-old man. That's my ultimate outcome. If I correct the violence um, and send him to his room, which is a soothing mechanism for that discomfort, mm -hmm. I'm messing with my ultimate outcome, which is the world just got too big for him. I want him to come to me. This is go time for me as a parent. This is time for my body to agree with my outcome and just say, dude, what happened? I hated school in fifth grade. Why do you hate school? Right. And in that moment, if I'm open, he'll tell me a substitute teacher put her hand over my mouth today. 
Yeah. Well, that is what I need to be correcting, not the fact that the world got too big for him. And so the book's about that, all the ways that we soothe discomfort because we're trying to skip over it. When discomfort's a sign that something's going right, like it's delicious, it's good. It's, we got to sit with it. Yeah, that's crazy. So are you, are you familiar <laughs> with, um, with somatic experience therapy? Uh, yes, I am. So that, so that, yeah. so I, I'm, I'm doing that. I've been doing that for nine months now. Tell me about it. What are you experiencing? Well, first of all, the guy I do it with is like one of the, he, I got lucky. He's like one of the, the top trainers of it in the world. And he just like, I think he was like, wow, Darius is a really interesting fucked up case. So I can't wait to take him on because I was in really bad shape when I saw him. And um, the whole theory around it is that and I'll use Stephen Terrell. That's my, my therapist name. Uh, his whole thing is like the body never forgets anything has like absolutely nothing it forgets nothing especially trauma right and there's like things like using your son as an example like did that really happen by the way yeah yeah right so some adult basically abused him at that moment like i hate to say that word but that is what that is right like they're not allowed to invade his his space like that and totally and if i would have listened to my body in that moment i would have sent him to his room yeah and then he never would have we never would have dealt with it and went and talked to that person right and so i'm going to use the exact same example but a little bit different and so with me um somatic experiences that the body never forgets and every and this and they go all the way to birth story right so in the womb the body never forgets so if you're the mother's dealing with trauma it's in the hormones and it, it you know the body of the of the, the essentially the fetus is being affected by this and, and if you're born cesarean versus a traditional birth, there's an effect there. And there's trauma all the way through. For me, part of the trauma was being born uh, in a, a premature with, as a twin and then being separated from my twin at birth and put in separate incubators and almost dying. And so that's a traumatic event that started like this body never forgetting trauma. And then um, his whole thing is, is that animals. And so, I, uh, so, I, I'll take it offline with you because it's a long story, but essentially he did a full-blown exorcism on me and it was like nothing I can explain. It doesn't sound real when I tell people that I actually think people don't believe me when I say it because, and I'm total logic, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with myself, but I'm, I'm a logic person, right? So I'm not going to say, yeah, I got to go talk to my body coder. Although I do believe in body coding. I don't, I'm not a person that's going to go get my cards read. Although I like that stuff. I'm not someone that lives and dies by that stuff. So I'm sitting on this table and all of a sudden this guy literally exercised like, I don't know, 40 years of trauma out of my body. And it was like insane. And so I went home that night and I was like, what the fuck just happened to me? Like, what the fuck just happened to me? And I, and I mean, it was really, really intense. And I Googled it and what's, what is somatic experience? And what it is, is that the body holds the trauma in your organs and your skin and your bones and your, and your like liver and your kidney and your brainstem these things that happen holds them there. And if we don't do what you're talking about, it release it the right way. It, it becomes toxic to your body and to your psyche and it causes a lot of problems. And so they use the example of animals and in nature, like if you ever see like two dogs get into a fight or something like that, or something like a dog scare a cat. And then the, right after it happens, the cat will walk away and you see the cat like shake, like kind of shakes it off. So what they're doing is they're shaking the trauma out of their body. And, and so I was talking to my therapist about this and 
I said, you know, when my kids cry, it enrages me. Mm. And I do what you're talking about. I said, go to your room. And he said, and it was, and, and I realized that I was never like, that's what I grew up being like, you're not allowed to cry. And like, I, I still, like, I go numb when there's weird things happening or bad things happening. I don't, I don't like, it's really hard for me to like let emotions out. And, and I realized this was programmed and boys as, as a man, like boys, especially if you have old, my dad was born in 1939 in Iran. That's like being born in 1889 in the United States. Like that's old fucking school. Kids aren't kids. Kids are like workers you know? And so your uh, capital punishment was normal in my family. Like, like, like there was no rest. There was no fun. It was like, you're going to be fucking tough. And so, and if you do something to show weakness, it gets beaten out of you, you know? And so when you're taught to do that, when you're kids, now I see my children, to your point, being frustrated, my initial response was like disgust. And I, and it was like, uh, it's not like, this is visceral. This is like, disgust yeah. that they're reacting that way and i'm like you go to your room and i was talking to my therapist about it and he's like why do you do that and i recognized that it was out of disgust and i and i started changing my behavior i was like to your point that's not solving a problem you know like no. you know anyway sorry i kind of went don't say what are you saying <laughs> sorry is the best thing that i've talked about all week the real stuff the one of the realities, and this is an unpopular thing to say, is that this whole resilience thing that our society stuffs down our throat, resilience is a problem. Yeah. Resilience means that we think suffering is part of the equation. And a lot of inside organizations, CEOs, we distance by saying, let's take it offline right before the real conflict happens in the meeting that's going to make the amazing thing happen. So it shows up in families. And these negative feelings are often attached to our innate ability. Often frustration is a sign of our talent, but we numb it, we push it away. And so I can't imagine, I'm gonna cry, I can't imagine anyone I would want my kids to run to than you. Your depth of values, the way that in a room of 300 people, you make everyone feel like they matter. Like your innate ability is this what you do with challenges, but the soothing mechanism you had was making those kids move away. Yeah. So it's this innate ability thing is such a huge piece of it. When, when you say talents, can you elaborate on that a bit? So um, one of the things that happens in our physiology is when we um, often, what we're really great at comes with adrenaline and frustration. So an example would be, let's say you and I are in a meeting together and you're really good at multiple levels of consequence. So your innate talent is somebody presents something, you're seven steps ahead. You can see implications like that. What will you get frustrated by when you're sitting in a meeting? What will frustrate you? When people are stuck in the weeds, like like not moving forward to the, to the steps they need to get to to solve the problem. Yeah, when they can't see implications. So our society is so jacked up. We teach people to numb the frustration, sit and tolerate and not say anything and then have the meeting after the meeting, which is helpful. And so in that meeting, you'll brace and stay quiet instead of teaching. That is not, a, that's a moment to notice, oh, people aren't seeing implications let me offer them in a way that people can stay open and hear them. Um, there's a really great quote by Tom Batchelder, who you should have on your show, by yeah, the way. I love Tom. Um, 
he, he has a quote, uh, you get more of what you tolerate. Yeah. And that's what often happens is we brace and numb and then we get more of what we tolerate until we can't anymore and then we blow up. And this yeah. is like this vicious cycle of numbing discomfort. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. In the world of successful partnerships, names like Procter & Gamble, Ben & Jerry, and Supply and Demand echo through business history. But when it comes to growing your business, who are the perfect partners? That's you and Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. We're talking from launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we hit a million dollar order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or promoting productivity programs, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Picture this, a time when my business was facing a tough hurdle and I wasn't sure how to break through, but then came the breakthrough moment, a game changer that took my business to the next level. You know, what I absolutely adore about Shopify is its unparalleled ability to adapt and grow with your ambitions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 75 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash Darius, all lowercase. That's D-A-R-I-U-S. Go to shopify.com slash Darius now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash Darius. Shout out to Clarity for supporting this episode and providing us with the samples. Hey there, friends. It's Darius from Shazda here, and I have a little confession to make. You see, I've been battling allergies for years now, and let me tell you, They've been a real ordeal in my life. Allergies have been my constant companion. They stop me from fully enjoying the little things in life. Canceling plans with friends because of sudden allergy attack to missing out on an outdoor activity because of sneezing fits. Allergies have been a real nuisance. Luckily, for those of us who live with symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing and a runny nose itchy watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. I've been a Claritin D user for many, many years now, and let me tell you, it's made a world of difference. Since I started using Claritin D, my symptoms have improved dramatically. Now, I can breathe easier, enjoy outdoor activities without worrying about sneezing fits, and truly live my life without being held back by allergies. Ready to live as if you don't have allergies, it's time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter now. You don't even need a prescription. Go to ClaritinD.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear uses directed. So what what do you, um, like, how do you feel like, well, first of all, is this is the, I mean, is this a big part of the work you guys do at Allegory? I didn't even say what, like, the name of your company or anything like that. So yeah, can you go into that? Yeah, we, um, Allegory is a behavioral leverage organization. So what that means is it's how do we leverage innate talent either through system design, because often 
the systems inside businesses are eclipsing talent. It isn't the talent. You can have 20 talented people, but if the ways of work and the systems aren't set up in a user-friendly way, everyone's just going to suffer. And then we just help individuals with their operating system to be able to, to stay loyal to the outcome and translate into the different ways that people listen and commit. How do you incorporate, like when you just said the, this last part, what, what popped in my brain was, yeah. was values, right? And you know, my yeah. lo love and lust of, the, of, the, of, of the, the power of core values. So how, how do values play into that? Values are in our operating system. So our innate talent is in our operating system. So our physiologies are set up in a certain way to produce innate ability. But then there's values and competing values that are driving a lot of our outward behaviors. So let me give you an example. If a founder is trying to get funding from a group of investors and they're the rigor and the expertise they have on their idea would take the investors seven years to understand. They can't do the deep rigor that they need to do to get those investors to understand. They've got to do it in a way that is understandable in eight minutes. If that founder has a value of precision, so precision is a value and it's why, why their product is so powerful. But in that moment, the investor starts asking tough questions in a way that offends that founder's physiology that founder will do behavior that makes certain that that investor is not going to invest. They'll make that investor feel small. So that precision value is beautiful, but in that moment, it might get that founder not to get their, what they really want. So it's teaching founders that tough questions are a buying signal. When an investor is asking tough questions, that's go time. You want tough questions. That's them trying to say yes. So trying to get that founder to use the precision another way, not to deploy it in a way to make the investor who's read an article and thinks they're an expert feel small because they're never going to be an expert. Right. That's so funny. And so I know you, you did you do Stegen? Yes. You're Stegen Red. So we're, we're, we're alumni, both of us. Yeah. Um, so so yeah, this is kind of this whole idea around, and I guess there's yours is taking a couple steps further, but around conscious communication and meeting people where they're at, and to to uh, to affect an outcome essentially, right? If I want this, I, I want this person to give me their money, and they're orange and they're strategic and they want to be right and they want to look smart, and if I go and like hammer them and belittle them, like they're not going to give me their money to your point, right? But meeting them where they're at and figuring out a language to translate a outcome to that that's. That's actually what's, I mean, what you just said, by the way, in my opinion, is 100% what's lacking in the world right now and the collective whole. Like politically, we're not doing that at all. It's only placating to our, the, our respective opinions and sides and then saying, fuck you to the other side, right? And that doesn't, that doesn't affect a change that needs to happen for the collective whole. But I love that example with a founder trying to raise money from venture capitalists because it is a, such a specific instance that I think people can relate to. So thank you for that. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And what's going on in the world right now, there's times for us to seduce, translate, infiltrate, work with people. But if someone's standing on your damn foot, get off my foot. Like, so part of what's happening right now, the discomfort of matching and saying the truth is what's going to finally create change. And so the the discomfort is such a sign that something's going right if it's someone's truth. 
Yeah, no, no, I, I, it's, I agree. It's, it's funny. Yeah. It's like, like a part of me is like, yes. And the other part of me, what I, what, where I guess is where I'm having issues, is it with the fact that that needs to happen to create the change? It's that I see what's happening is it's like an eye for an eye is being, is happening because of it. Right. So the weaponization of the rhetoric is it, like, I'm going to stab you to have that conflict. And they're like, well, great. I'll stab you twice because I'm right. And, and there's an escalation that's happening. And, and, and then you have <clears throat> political forces pouring gasoline on the flames. And, and so I'm like, well, at some point, like someone's, some, I guess something's got to give it. Maybe you're right. Maybe the way it gives is some, at some point people finally realize that there's a right way. My concern is you have this like four-way battle between pluralistic mindset, authoritarian mindset, autocratic mindset, and strategic mindset. And now it's a royal fucking rumble. And, and people want to be, and they want to win. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a, we have a methods of change around discomfort, infiltration, disruption, how there's sort of a four-prong approach to this, that all great movements came from massive disruption and discomfort. Mm -hmm. So it's, being able to be flexible to use. And so examples work best for me. So an example would be if a woman, um, we train women running for office. So um, if a woman is running for office and she gets heckled from the stage because she, she's in her twenties and someone says, I have shoes older than you are young lady. Well, should she clap back or should she just smile and move on? And I clapping back is like, dude, yeah. you need to get, dude, you get to need to get new shoes. You know, <laughs> clap back. And so part of, you know, when we're teaching women to run for office is clap back is also a tool. Yeah. Um, we don't have to just translate and seduce all the time, people to listen. We can use the momentum to stay loyal to the outcome and show people how we're gonna legislate. It's interesting, I, and this is, and, and we have a question I want to bring you from the crowd, but I want to just throw this out there. Like, so my number three strength is woo, right? Which is winning yeah, others. Of course you're woo. <laughs> it's winning others over, right? So like for me, <laughs> I, for me, the clap back, it's not that I, I, I mean, for me, when that happens, my brother has a name for it, by the way. Do you want to know the name for when yes, I do that? Yes, tell me. Because of the Darius fuck you treatment, because it's either, it's, it's, it's a spectrum, right? There's the woo, which I live in 99.9% .9 of the time. And then there's that, which is essentially, I just pull out a Glock and put it to your head and blow you away. Like there's no, like it's just absolute utter destruction and death from words. And there's nothing else but that. And so for me, it's, it's like, I, I guess that's maybe why I think of it. In, that's why when you said it, I'm like, oh, if someone said something like that to me, I would just woo them over because it's no big deal and I'll just move on and make everyone laugh. And, you know, the seduction thing you're talking about, because I can keep the room on my side and I don't need to like even I'll own that person in my own way by owning everyone else's the collective like agreement of the, of the rest of the group. You know what I mean? And the key to this is authenticity and core values, which is what your book is about. So it's that person's physiology. We call this the afferent quotient. It's your ability to stay loyal to the outcome in a way that's authentic to your values. Right. And so for that candidate, that is authentic to their values. That's who they are. The um, yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And one of the challenges inside organizations is a leader can be an amazing leader. 95% of the time, the woo 
But when they have the uncontrolled reaction that wasn't planful, that's what shows up on engagement scores. That's what people remember because their AQ, their afferent quotient gets startled. Um, and that trauma, I don't do psychology, but people don't forget that feeling they got when you made them feel small. And you can do all the stuff you want to do to make the culture better, give them free food, whatever. But that, that startle in an unplannedful moment is often what messes with performance. Yeah. And has kids not come to us. It's how we respond that one time. So good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 you're right. You're right. And it's actually when, when I was going through Stegen, that was the one thing I realized is that I have such an improvisational style around my communication that when that 0.1% comes out and I'm stabbing someone with a freaking spear to death in front of 20 other people, like it undermines what I really want. And so it was just something that I was like, wow, I need to probably get that in check. But I love, I love where you're going with that. I want to I ask this question though, because I've been making them wait. Um, and then this is, dude, I, I knew we were going to have this good of a conversation, by the way. Uh, <laughs> you, were, you were amazing. Um, how do you control your own emotions in a stressful situation? Deep breathing? A moment alone? Question mark? Vodka shots? No. <laughs> so, uh, so controlling emotion means that we're not controlling emotion. So the moment we control emotion, we're being controlled by emotion. So here's a couple of hacks. Because a lot of us were raised to just get over it, we have a, we felt the, emo, the, the physiology that brought the emotion way before we realized we're emotional. So it happened in our body first. So a hack that works for some people is just when we feel that something has changed in our body, if we can notice sooner that it changed, and then just say, of course I feel that way. Just in your head, think to yourself, of course I feel that way. There's something when we were hooked up to these jackets, there's an easing that happens in our body because we're not fighting or saying you should not be upset right now, which a lot of us have been taught not to be upset. It's like, well, of course I feel that way. So for a lot of people that can up your afferent quotient um, to just allow the feeling and you don't have to name it or label it. It's just like, I feel, uh, of course I feel that way. So that's one way. Do you want another one? So can I ask you a question about yeah. that? Yeah. Do, do yeah. the Buddhist, is, is that what the Buddhists call equanimity? Is, I mean, is that essentially equanimity? I am not a Buddhist. And so I wouldn't want to pretend I know. Okay. We, um, when we had our call center, we hooked people up to these machines that tested their physiology because we were doing conflict all the time. So we tried to come up with things that would get their body okay when what was happening was high conflict. And so we could see the physiological change when someone just allowed the feeling, of course, I feel that way. There was an easing that happened. So it's not going down the rabbit hole of why I feel that way, just acknowledging that, yeah, I just braced. Yeah. And so, so this was um, this was the call center, the debt collection call center? Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about that in a second. So um, yeah, uh, could you give another example though? Just because. So here's another hack. Um, one of the things, biochemistry is driving a lot of our behavior. And so uh, every single day, if once an hour, get out of your head and search for something that you like that ups your biochemistry. So I've had an entire relationship with your pink unicorn. Uh, with, I want to know what the black and white photo is between your two kids. Like when I start feeling my AQ dip, when I'm starting to use my hands like a 
Tyrannosaurus Rex and I can see it, I know that I'm thrown off. And so I'll just look for something I love to give myself serotonin and dopamine. So a lot of controlling emotions, which I don't, we just want to feel them and Mm -hmm. not be driven by into soothing them, just up your biochemistry every day. We have a bunch of hacks like that that are easy to do. So if you do it all the time, you're just less hijackable. So you're doing that when you go into organizations, you're doing that through the thought leadership in your book, like, like walk me through how you guys are using that in the business. Like what, what are so the we, we have a four prong approach of how we're trying to improve the world by supporting people who are trying to make the arc of the universe, bend it faster, make the world better. So one of the ways we do that is inside um, organizations. So trying to get groups to collaborate and perform better because the collaboration model is really hard on innate ability. You get people together, forcing them to work together. There's, if an organization is hired well, uh, people should bug them physiologically. So the ways of work for one talent isn't the same as the other. So we help people coordinate rather than collaborate so that they're living more in their innate ability. Do you That's, think so? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Because yeah. this, this is, this is, I, I have, I have, I've not heard this. I mean, you and I have talked a lot. I just hadn't seen, I haven't applied this thought process to the way I try to create alignment in an organization. And so I want to hear your thoughts on how my methodology and your methodology would like marry each other. So my methodology is that language is the way we connect it. Right. And, and that if I create a language for my organization, and make it really an immersive language that everyone's using and they can depend on it. There's accountability that, and, and it drives behavior because they understand what the expectations are around behavior. Essentially core values become the language of the organization and they have a high utility functionality for expectation and accountability. And so then people can get comfortable with, well, this is what's expected of us. And, and now I, what, what I'm hearing you say is, well, th- what if that rubs against their innate, innate like innateness, right? And so for me, I'm like, I hadn't thought of it like that. I just said, well, look, like this is what you're signing up for and this should resonate with you or you shouldn't come here. Um, And you can depend on the organization in everything we do to hold ourselves and each other up to this standard that we're espousing. And and what what I found was people got really comfortable with that and then they would all do it and they would use that as a tool to have conflict even. But there was this tool I call it invisible scale that creates holistic, organic alignment, and it's because people could depend on it. What, what are your thoughts on that? Because that's the way I think about it. What are your thoughts on that in your work? And so diversity is a competitive advantage. That is a, something I've been said over, and people are tired of hearing me say it. I've been saying it for about 20 years. And so one of the ways in an organization is whatever the words are that you're using, can that person find themselves in those words? And what are the stories or examples that we're telling about them that we're not excluding talent that is going to push us to think about that differently? And so it's this it's this sort of dance that we want to do that as a leader, I've created this Um, The human relationship is the true currency. That was my tagline. And I had told everyone the number one goal of a collection call is to establish relationships. But I was bonusing people on money collected. So it was BS. Because I was bonusing on the opposite of what I was saying, 
and needed to listen, you know, really look at my, how my words weren't steeped in the system. So when we changed the bonus structure, we started bonusing on thank you cards received. We collected more money, got invited to weddings and the person with the most thank you cards always had the most money collected because now these words I was saying were aligned because I was willing to listen to two people in my company, um, Rodney and Ashanti, who were freaking brilliant, who showed me that there was, I was saying it, but we weren't living it behaviorally. And a lot of us as leaders, we were not willing to be questioned. Yeah. We're, we're not open to that. Our AQ feels like we're supposed to know, you know, you have to do it this way. So it's nuance. It's in the stories of your core values that make that come alive, that make those words mean something. I agree. I, I, I think, and, and this is, it's, it's funny. And I think this is where the book is going to help folks, because I think that mis, I think core values have been there. I think they're the most valuable and underutilized asset in any organization for some of the things you're saying. Because uh. People don't, they, they, I say there's ground level 10,000 foot and 30,000 foot level of values. And I think people kind of live in this 10,000 and then, it, and they, and then nothing happens there because it's not implemented well. And then they have what you're talking about, which is their KPIs don't align to the values they espouse. And so they're bonusing to your, to your point on something totally. that's totally against what they're saying they are, right? Totally. Uh, we right. run meetings to stick to an agenda and so much, so many meetings aren't designed to bring collective genius to the table. Yeah. They're, they're a task, not an outcome. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that. And what, what I think is, and I found this a lot of the times when I start talking to people, I go, no, go up a level, go up a level, go up a level, go so high that you can't, uh, that, that when you're 30,000 feet in the air, when you're up in the clouds, you could come at it from many, many directions. And then, because if I say one of my core values, for instance, is loyalty. And I, ex- and I express it in a way that really is authentically like, I'm all about being loyal, like putting other people first, you know, like never quitting on someone in, in my own self-interest unless I absolutely have to. I invite a diversity of, of ways to do that, right? Because it's yeah. high enough and it's where it's not saying, loyalty is where you bow down to the King Darius. If I do that, you, to your point, I'm not, it's gonna be people that are rules driven. They're not, you know, they're not, uh, you know, they can't, they got to do it. They got to have a, a, someone crack the whip on them. And as long as they feel safe in that autocratic environment, they'll come work for me. But, but, and I think that a lot of people, and that's an extreme example. I think people are kind of somewhere in the middle. So I think that that's where the design of the values and the book is really essentially a design book around how do you design values for high utility functionality. That. So a lot of people are like, oh, this is a book about culture. I'm like, it's not a fucking book about culture. This is a book about design. It's a design book. And they're like, yeah. what are you talking about? You know, by the way, I want to show you something. You want to know what that picture is behind me? What is it? The one that you say you're looking at? Yeah. It's my wife and I dressed up like we went to an 80s party and we dressed up like with, I have two other friends and we went as cats from the musical Cats. I love that. That is brilliant. Oh, uh, it was good. Um, well, yeah. I will say that culture is a feeling and I was lucky enough to be around hundreds of your team years ago and you could feel it. Yeah. You created a feeling of um, folks not feeling anonymous and that's such, I think, can't wait to read the core values book because I, it's from that. I've felt what it feels like to be in your organization. Thank you. I can't wait to share it with you. So 
I will. <laughs> oh, we have another question. Um, oh. As someone who hasn't been taught to clap back, how do you start feeling confident in standing up for yourself? So when we, I, and I'm using the, a big part of my life is training women to run for office. We particularly um, prioritize black women to run for office. And one of the things that I wanna put on a bumper sticker is well-intended people often criticize the genius right out of you. Be careful who you listen to. So often people get feedback that is steeped in the other person's fragility. That the real you, whoever wrote that comment, and I'm happy to message in Facebook and talk more about it. The real you is, is so much more delicious than anything that we've sort of fabricated um, to based on somebody else's feedback. So often confidence is based on feedback that we've received that's absolutely not true. The, the real person and our ability to deal with fragility is what, what we can center on. So one way, so that's one thing. The second thing is get out of your freaking head. So I'm not confident doing Facebook Lives. I would rather interact. This makes me very uncomfortable. So before I came on, I just had to get out of my head. So as much as possible, the more I think about how I'm using my hands or if I have a bat in the cave or whatever is it, my hair looks like a helmet. The more that I think about myself, I'm gonna get all weird and start doing the Tyrannosaurus Rex again. So the more that we can get out of our head and look for the evidence of our talent. Instead of spending 90% of their time making it something we don't like better, make the, the part that's amazing bigger. Yeah, yeah. So what know I'm... what your magic is. For me, it's examples. I'm comfortable when I'm giving examples. So whether or not you like it, that's what I'm doing. Because I know I get comfortable when I'm in an example. So yeah. whoever asked that question, if you wanna, um, I'm happy to, you know, dig a little deeper into that, but those are the two things. Yeah, drop, drop, drop. you could drop a question, you could drop a, your, your contact information on the thread and we can try to connect. Um, you know, David Rendell? Yes. Yeah, like what you were just talking about, he and I talked about that a couple weeks ago and um, I, I, I brought up, I said, you know, I have a twin brother who was basically criticized for what he was his whole life until mm. he found his genius in sales, right? When he was 16, after, 16 years of being told he was going to go to prison you know and like I mean, I'm, I'm telling you like people are crazy and my dad my dad who was you know not not a very critical person but he did say one thing that that I thought was that I've, it's probably the best piece of advice he ever gave me it said never listen to someone who's not more successful than you are and he's he's a per, you know he's an old purging guy so what I what I took away from that was if I if I'm trying to be something and someone's fragile and you're in your, you know, their fragility is coming out and they're beating on me, right. To not be that way. And, and it's one thing, like if my child's being rude or, or dishonest or doing something that's really wrong, like I'm going to tell them that's not okay. But, but if, I, if I'm just flying my flag and my heart's singing and I'm being myself and someone's saying, don't do that, that's embarrassing. That's more about them than it is about me. And, and I found that like when I started talking about what I wanted to do with my life, I was told, oh, like I, this is a good example. I, I, I love improv. I love like connecting with people and I love entertaining. And, and I was in college 
and I was in this improvisation class and I, and I have a friend and he, this friend's like a big time, he's a big time, like uh, agent in Hollywood now. He's like a super agent. I mean, like top, top, top agent. And this is when we were in college and he's like, you know, I would never tell anybody this, but have you ever considered acting? He's like, I would never, ever, ever recommend that to someone. And in my heart, I was like, oh, I want to be an actor. You know, like I was just like, cause I can, I just have the feels and I can express how I feel and people can feel it. And that just felt right to me. And this, this professor that was in our acting class was like, well, if you want to go into acting, just prepare to be in a bunch of terrorist roles. And, and he's like, that's what you'll get cast as. And I was, and I was like, yeah, he's right. And I, and I, and I like listened to him. And so I, I, thinking back to that example, I don't know if I would have been happy to be an actor, but I didn't even try, number one, which is, that's, that's an issue. Um, but what I, the guy, who was he to say that? He wasn't some, like, he wasn't someone that had done it. So why the hell would he know? And it was probably him in this low AQ moment. And he was soothing his discomfort with a broad sweeping statement. This is, we soothe our discomfort and we eclipse people. Uh, it, it is, it's, uh, our society is so unable to feel that in that moment, somebody who's probably his entire career was building people. And if you looked at his values, that's not his values, but in a low moment, he did something to soothe his discomfort that eclipsed your talent. We do this a lot. Yeah. myself included like it's it it that that's why knowing what your core values reading your book i think is really important so that when you act outside of the values you can notice it sooner and imagine if you would have called you next day and said that was a stupid thing to say dude hold on back up you know but what happens is we soothe our discomfort with the fact that we just said something stupid and we don't circle back and fix it yeah and you have this 20 year old impressionable kid that's like yeah he's right i'm gonna go into mortgages <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when, you know, when women run for office, people often call me and say, would you make her a little nicer? Can you make her more approachable? And it's like the more that woman tries to make the, this random guy in Chicago comfortable with her badassery, the less of a movement she's going to create. Yeah. And you have guys like Trump who people love him because he's authentic, his authentic fighting. I don't think that's why they love him. No, I'm telling you, lots of them he's do. doing. He's doing a well-worn demagoguery tool. What he's doing is making people feel superior to other people. It is a duping mechanism. They call it real, but what's really going on, if you look at his strategy, is if you make people feel superior, they'll, they want that feeling. They're addicted to the feeling of finally somebody is saying we're better than everybody else. Interesting. Okay. And he's yanking them around by their physiology. I really should put a chapter in my book about how he's been able to do this. They call it him being real, but it's really steeped in superiority you, but and, I, using, and using us and them, us and them as a well-worn way to gain power. And a lot of CEOs do it. Right. No, no, I, I hear you. I, I actually think he is being him himself, though. Like, I don't think he's like, I don't think this guy's holding back. I think he's as fucked up as it is and as manipulative as it might be. I actually think he's coming as he is. Yeah, well, he's learned how to gain power. Yeah. With a seer. I, I really should write a chapter on it because it is, you know, in our schools do not teach critical thinking. 
We don't teach people to, we teach resilience and act like it's not bad. And, you know, there's all these weird things and habits in our society that make it easy for someone like him to dupe people. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree because because I see it and I see what gets spread and I'm like, that's not even, that you did not do any critical thinking around what you just copied and pasted. And frankly, it's racism too. (laughs) So frankly, we got a lot of racists in our society. That, yeah, and there's well, evil here. So I think it's a uh, soothing yeah. mecha- mechanism to assume people are duped. Some of it is willful desire for that superiority. Interesting. All yeah, right. I was raised in Georgia by civil rights workers. Like it's alive in our society for sure. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And, and, and like more, like, like when you go outside the United States, it's more than it is here. It's, I mean, when you go to like most ethnocentric countries are racist against like what town you're from. You know, this is, I mean, I grew up with a Persian father and they would talk shit on every single other Middle Eastern country. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it, like I, 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 and I grew up in a multicultural family, you know, and I'd hear my cousins who from, from who are Italian, Italians from Western Pennsylvania, like grew up in these steel mill towns, tons of racism there too. And, and I grew up in Orange County. Christina, I didn't realize how racist Orange County was until I moved to San Francisco. I said, it was like 10 years after living in San Francisco. I was like, wow, I haven't been called a fucking raghead in like a decade. <laughs> so, so like it's everywhere, you know, yeah. but when you do go to the more progressive cities, it's where it's, you know, what's the other end of the spectrum where people are like, no, we don't do that here. That's like, we're, we are more accepting of, of other people. And then they have their own sets of, you know, bias that come out, you know? And as a white presenting person, I just need to shut up because I've never experienced it. Uh, And I do think that racism is a white person problem, which I include myself in that category. And a lot of our systems are set up with that structure. So an example would be a lot of companies say, assume best intent. Assume best intent is something I, as a white girl, can assume when I get pulled over by a cop because Best intent always happens for me, but assume best intent is not a rational act if society is treating you like a suspect. Assuming best intent is irrational. So these little things are in a lot of our systems and we're not thinking about it. But we've created them ignoring the discomfort of these things that are really wrong in our society and we have to address. And and then the other part of it is, is people are dismissing it. Like, like, oh, they just have to work harder. And it's like, oh, fuck yourself. Like, 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 listen, I I, I said this to somebody and you said a quote in the beginning of, of the, of the call. And I'm going to bring it back to that uh, because we're running (laughs) on time. Um, The question you said was, or the statement you said is everyone has a game plan until they get punched in the face. Yeah. That's Mike Tyson. Right. Um, my question here, this is a question and I hope your answer is what, what I hope it, it is, is have you ever been punched in the face? Yes. Okay, cool. Uh-huh. Most, every time I ask people that question, it's like one in 10 have been punched in the face, uh, and, but, but they all say me. that. Right. And the reality, reality is, is that's my analogy for what you just said before, which is like assume best intent because they haven't been, they haven't been punched in the face. Nope. So they just say it because it's the thing they heard. And it's, just, it's a, it's an experience they've had, which is nothing. And even like, I know people that have done crazy shit, full blown, like DUIs on the fucking Bay Bridge. And they go and the judge is like, oh, this, he's a good kid from, from La Miranda, lets him off the hook. And I was like, uh, dude, there's guys that go to prison for that. 
right? And this guy got, didn't even get a DUI, you know? So don't tell me this is an even system. And, you know, I know like when you look at our penal system, I go, look, look guys, are we going to assume that if that this percentage of a population should be incarcerated? Is it just like that uh, our, our DNA makes us criminals? Really? Come on, man. Like, like you don't have to be smart. They, go, they, just, they should just work harder. And I'm like, oh, listen, you need, I, I, I just be happy you won the fucking genetic lottery. Okay. Well, and be aware how much our society is based on propaganda. You know, you show a kid a picture of, you know, talk, to, say it, say to any kid, have you heard of the Black Panthers? And 90% of kids will talk about the photo with the gun. That's right. propaganda. Um, the Black Panthers were about feeding communities and a lot of other things, but in schools, we have fed this myth of this country that I think it's holding us all back. Totally. It is holding us back from facing and confronting the hard reality and then doing what will happen when we are willing to confront that reality and elevate and get rid of these systems that are totally jacked up. That's loyal to the outcome. Yeah. We got too many folks that are fragile and centering themselves, white folks, instead of getting really comfort with the discomfort that comes with truly being loyal to the outcome of who we say we are. Yeah. We're not there yet. Yeah, I, I want, I, we have a couple questions. I want to grab one of them because we're running out of time. But okay. like what, what I had said, I, I was talking to uh, my book launch team yesterday and I said, you know, after we launch, I want to go and I want to start talking to, to people who are running for office about what are the core values of our country that we're holding each other accountable to? Because right now, I don't think that there's accountability around what we say we are as a country. I think that that is where the rub is and that's where people are frustrated. And if we were truly living our core values, first of all, I don't even think people know what the core values of the country are. But if we were to actually live what we say they are, liberty, freedom, all these things that we, you know, individualism, you know, not infringing on those, those, those rights that we say we, we believe in, that we would not accept the things that we're seeing right now if we've held our institutions accountable to that. So I believe the rub is that we are disconnected from what we say we are and that the change you're talking about is the change that needs to happen. So that's my, I'll get off my soapbox. <laughs> um, let's see, there's so many. Oh, question. Um, is evil slash racism here to stay forever? Do you have a suggestion for a chance for change? Um, the most important suggestion is to, a lot of companies reached out to us asking us that question. And our thing is hire black leaders and pay them well, because this work has been going on for years and years, and a lot of people are new to the party. It will be here to stay if we prioritize comfort. So if white folks keep prioritizing comfort instead of truth and authenticity, and that's true inside organizations. We often don't, inter don't hire someone because of culture fit. That's often code for they weren't like me. They said something that made me uncomfortable. So I do not think it's here to stay unless it is a white person problem. <laughs> we have to do something about it. Not lead the charge. We need to join the charge that's already happened and listen to black leaders who've been on the front lines and, and do what they tell us to do and not center ourselves in it. Right on. 
seriously. No, I mean, like, like you're, you're amazing. Like, this is, this is really awesome. Um, what a good show. I'm so grateful to have you here. Like you're, you're such a force. I know you said you're five, two, but you really are six, two. I don't care. I don't, I know you're joking, but like, you got, you got, you got stature, Christina. Um, so where can I, where can people find you? Like, like give, give our, so I'm not very good at social media. I need to deal with that, but I'm on Twitter under C Harbridge, Facebook, Allegory Inc, Instagram, Allegory. Um, okay. Love um, on our Facebook page, Allegory Inc. I love when people message me questions. Love, it's how I learn when people ask me questions. It may take me a minute to respond and it may be grammatically incorrect. I'm too creative for grammar. Um, but I love getting questions. Awesome. So guys, you know where to find her. We'll put that in the comments section. And my heart is always filled with gratitude when I get to talk to the lovely and amazing Christina Harbridge. Um, thank you so much for being I here. love you. It's so good to talk to you. And thank you for all that you're doing in the world, my friend. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying. But thank you, too. Um, guys, listen, um, follow us at The Real Darius M on Facebook. We're all over social media as well. You can go to my website, www.therealdarius.com. I'm just trying to keep it real. And you can join all the different uh, social media in there. Uh, but yeah, look, share this. Everyone needs to hear what Christina had to say. So uh, once this is done, please repost it on your, on your Facebook pages, start watch parties. Um, you can do it after the fact. I want people to hear th this message because especially right now, we just got so much great information from Christina and the work she's done. And, and when you look at the real problems we have today, this is this is the truth and i know that there might be some pain around it but people need to hear it regardless if they want to hear it or not and the only way we do that is by spreading the message so share this uh start watch parties and uh we'll see you guys later on today thank you so much you are listening to the greatness machine and that's a wrap for today listen if you love what you heard, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform that you're tuning in on so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. We have tons of great people coming on and we're, we're stoked to have you here to enjoy it with us. Leave us a review. Tell us what you love most about this particular episode. We love getting the reviews. We love to see what you guys love most. And if this particular episode you know, made you think of someone who's leveling up in their business and in their life, print screen, share it with them. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we're all here to support and grow with each other. And in case you want to see some of the fun behind the scenes shots or some of the things that we're doing, I'm actually writing about this in my weekly newsletter. Go to www.therealdarius.com and subscribe to my newsletter. We're talking about fun things like business and life and mindfulness and cryptocurrencies and gosh, I don't even know everything and anything, but it's tons of fun stuff I write about. I try to get it out on a weekly basis. You can subscribe at www.therealdarius.com. And with that said, look, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you. I love you. Peace. We're out of here. See you guys on the next one. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. 
Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.